How's everybody doing? Good, 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 good. So, um, yeah, like Josh said, man, I am uh, Jared Cole. I am uh, one of the pastors over at Cornerstone Church. Uh, I have been here a handful of times now, and so uh, if you haven't seen me, that's who I am. Um, this isn't my first time being here, and man, your guys, this pastor, Matt, he is... Uh, he is great, man. He's super gracious to uh, he and Josh and your elders as well, man, just to give me these opportunities to come here and teach to you guys today, uh, which I'm super excited to do. Uh, if you guys have been here in the previous weeks, so or just last week, you guys jumped back into Romans. You guys are in Romans 8. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and pull those out. Uh, before I get in, uh, when I was speaking here last time, there was something going on, and uh, I share this, guys, with you every single time, right? <laughs> uh, this update on how my family's doing. And so we actually, you guys knew that my wife was pregnant, right? We have three baby girls, uh, and now we were having another child. And I revealed to you guys that we were having a baby boy, and that baby boy has been born. And so I think we have a picture of him up here to show you guys. And yes, 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 there he is, Mr. Isaiah True Cole. Uh, and now I think there's another picture up here as well. Uh, if you guys haven't seen my Cole crew, that's all four of those things, yes. Uh, my oldest right there, five years old, that's Kata. Uh, my next one right here to your left, that's Riley. Uh, Maya there on the right, and then little Isaiah right there in the middle. Man, I am a blessed, blessed man. Uh, and my wife is a, she's the greatest of all time. Yeah. It's, uh, she, uh, I gotta show you guys this story, man. She, we're on Instagram. We do that social media stuff. She shared me, uh, with me this reel. Uh, and, uh, you parents in here, you guys think this is pretty funny, man. The reel said, um, you know, having a kid is like having a school project, and the husband brings the markers, but the wife does the whole project all by herself, right? And then she even gets the time to present in the project, and then she presents the whole project all by herself. But then we, we both get the A, right, fellas? People come and congratulate you and say, hey, great job. And so that's kind of how I'm feeling right now, man. But, uh, man, praise the Lord. It's so, it's so, so, so good. Uh, my house is lively. Um, but, yeah, so I want to jump right in, man. I have a... Uh, a lot to say here. Don't have a uh, lot of time. Uh, but before I dive in, let me pray for us really quick. Um, and then we'll do some reading of the word. Heavenly Father, we are uh, so grateful for you. We're grateful for your son um, uh, who left us to give us the Holy Spirit, Lord. And when we dive here into Romans 8, uh, you graced Paul to give us this beautiful, beautiful uh, text, uh, the text of the Spirit. And so, Lord, I pray over the congregation today and those who are listening online, uh, uh, those of us who are in the spirit, Lord, who have accepted you, you have changed our life. Lord, I pray that you take us deeper today. And those of us who have not, who have not quite accepted the call to be yours, Lord, I pray that they take the step to do so. Lord, I pray this message falls on open ears. And I pray these things in your son Jesus' name. Amen. 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 So we're going to be in Romans 8. I'm going to dive right in here. We're going to be in verse 5 uh, in Romans 8, going through verse 11. Here's what it says. Those who live according to the flesh <clears throat> have their mind set on what the flesh desires. But those who live in accordance with the spirit have their mind set on what the spirit desires. 
The mind governed by the flesh is death, but the mind governed by the spirit is life and peace. The mind governed by the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law and nor can it do so. But those who are in the realm of the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the realm of the flesh, but are in the realm of the spirit. If indeed the spirit of God lives in you. And if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, there it is. They do not belong to Christ. But if Christ is in you, then even though your body is subject to death because of sin, the spirit gives life or the spirit gives life because of righteousness. And if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, then he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of his spirit who lives in you. Church, this is a word. And so I'm going to go through this text. And just to give you guys some some guardrails on where we're going to go, I want to kind of walk you through how this is set up. I want to talk about uh, the flesh and the spirit, right? You read this text and you can obviously see that there's a dichotomy between what the flesh is and what the spirit is. And I want to parse that out just a little bit for us. And then we're going to get down to a section where I'm going to ask the question, and I want us to ponder on this, or do we have the spirit? And how do you know if you have the spirit? And then lastly, the result of having that spirit. <clears throat> but before that, what, what is the flesh? What is the flesh? What is the spirit? To put it plainly, the flesh is what we operate in when we are in opposition to God. When we think about this, this not only looks like a refusal to read your Bible or a refusal to get up and come to church on Sunday morning or have a bomb prayer life, right? But it manifests in, in different ways. To live in the flesh, and we'll read a list here in a little bit, but, to, but to, I want to highlight this relational focus of what it means to live in the flesh, right? It doesn't only impact these things that we do, but it also impacts how we interact with one another, our relationship with others, right? A lot of y'all parents in here get me on this. You just saw those beautiful little kids on the screen, (laughs) but you don't have to go far to realize that there's sometimes brokenness between there, right? My kids, they're amazing kids, but dad isn't always so patient. (laughs) Can I get an amen on that, right? Dad isn't always so Patient, And so we know that there's, there's, there's brokenness in relationships. And sometimes, you know, Paul would say that the actions that come from that, they can be sporadic. They can be, uh, uh, you don't know what's coming up, right? And it can be a blur. But these words and actions in some sense become what I believe Paul would say fleshy. And for some of us, maybe it's not kids. Maybe it's a coworker. Maybe it's a boss. Or maybe it's a, a, a parent or a friend for those of us who are in school. And things like hatred will start welling up. And things like bitterness will start welling up and discontent, right? And all of these things stem from where? The flesh. But if you're a critical thinker, and, and, and I tend to be a critical thinker, you have to ask the, the, the question, do only bad things come from the flesh? Right? Is the flesh only limited to the bad things that I think? Is it only limited to the bad things I do? Is it limited to the bad things that I say? <laughs> this is a real question that we have to ask. And I believe Paul would say, no. 
it's not a matter of doing really much of anything. It's not a matter of, of, of what we do. <clears throat> you see, the flesh is crafty. And Paul has said, right, he'll say in dramatic fashion again that the mind governed by the flesh is and leads to death. Here's what we need to know. We, know, we need to know that uh, the result of death, according to living according to the spirit, is not merely what happens when we say curse words or go to the bar, or do things that we're not supposed to do. But what leads to death is a mindset, verse 5 tells us. It's a mindset and a lifestyle of doing what, of living without God. Really good or bad, right? We can be kind. We can be charitable. We can be naturally servant-hearted. But none of that matters if we're doing these things without God. In other words, we can sum up the concept of living in the flesh as living a self-seeking life. A life of self Reliance, right? I can do this. A life of self-pleasure, a life of self-worship. Being awakened in this spirit is not necessarily the putting away of bad things that we do, but it is first and primarily the realization that we have given ourselves over to ourselves. And in doing so, we become far, 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 far away from God. Uh, when I was growing up, one of my favorite movies was called, um, excuse me, uh, The Last Dragon. Has anybody seen The Last Dragon? A couple of hands went up. Yo, this, this is amazing. Yo. I, I didn't think I was going to get any hands on The Last Dragon. So The Last, the Last Dragon is a, is a mid-80s movie. So I was growing up, I'm a huge kung fu fan, man, right? right? Bruce Lee, Jackie Chan, all that kind of stuff. <clears throat> and then my brother, I was born in 88. My brothers, I have older brothers, whatever. But they introduced me at some point to The Last Dragon. And I, I fell in love, right? <laughs> I fell in love. Kung fu is such an intriguing art form. Right. And when you put it in a film, it, 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 it's, it's even better. You can get literally everything. And then this movie, The Last Dragon, uh, the, the star, uh, his name is, is really funny. You guys who know it out there, Bruce Leroy. <laughs> right. He's a he's a he's a black kung fu artist. Right. And so in this movie, he has a villain. and The villain's name is Show Nuff. Show enough, right? He's got hair kind of like mine when I don't have it in these braids, right? But like it's kind of puffy and it's, he's got like Afro puffs out the side. And he just does this thing. He's really wild. But there's a part in the movie where uh, Show Enough and, and Bruce Leroy, they're having this battle. It looks like they're in this kind of warehouse type place. And Show Enough ends up catching up to Bruce Leroy. And he has Bruce Leroy by the back of his hair. And he's throwing his face into this barrel of water, <laughs> right? And so you're watching this and you're thinking, yo, Bruce Lee was about to get it. The movie's about to be over. I can't believe it, right? He's really got him. And he pulls his head out of the water and he asks him this question. He says, who's your master? <laughs> he can't speak. He's devastated. He throws him back into the water. He starts getting these flashbacks of, you know, things motivating him. He pulls him up again. He says, who's your master? doesn't speak again. He goes back down for the third time. And you're thinking, man, this is it for sure. He ain't coming back up. But more motivation comes up in his mind, right? 
pulls him up one last time, got a big smile on his face, showing up with him and said, I'm going to ask you one more time, boy, who's your master? And he says, I am, right? And then the whole scene changes and Bruce Leroy taps into who he is and he goes crazy. He's got the glow and everything. That's really important, man. He's got the glow. So he whoops sure enough right then and there, okay? But let me tell you something. <laughs> the Christian life, this will make sense here in a minute, is not about moral platitudes, but it's rather the same question that sure enough is asking, who is your master? Bruce Leroy said, I am. That is the wrong answer, although it worked out for him in the film. That is not the right answer. The difference in operating in the flesh versus the spirit is not so much the difference between doing good and bad, but answering the question, who is your Lord? And what Paul's done for us in this text here is kind of give us a dichotomy between who we're serving. Are we serving the flesh? Are our minds and desires set on the things of the flesh? Are our minds and desires set on the things of the spirit? Look at verse 5 with me again. It says this, those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on the flesh, have their minds set on what the flesh desires. But those who live in accordance with the spirit have their minds set on what the spirit desires. Y'all, you can read this and it's, and it's simple enough, right? You see the dichotomy here clear and plain. It's, it's written nearly in linear fashion, right? One plus two equals three, right? Or A plus B equals C, a life plus Living in the flesh equals fleshly desires, right? Or life plus living in the spirit equals desires of the spirit. And I don't want to miss this. I mentioned this. I want to talk about a relational aspect of living in the flesh versus living in the spirit. Our faith is not only one of vertical reconciliation where we are made right with God, but it's also one of horizontal reconciliation where we are made to be right in right relationship with one another, And there's a chapter here in Galatians. I want you guys to keep your finger right there in Romans and turn to uh, Galatians for me. In Galatians 5. I think what Paul does is he elaborates on this force that he's talking about in Romans 8. He elaborates this on this, and he's writing to the church in Galatia, and it's going to detail what it means to live in the flesh versus the spirit. I want to read a little bit of this for you. Galatians 5, uh, starting in verse 13, I think, to make this make sense. Listen to this. For you were called to be free, brothers and sisters. Only don't use this freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but serve one another through love. For the whole law is fulfilled in one statement, love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out or you will be consumed by one another. And I say then in verse 16, walk by the spirit and you will certainly not carry out the desire of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is against the spirit and the spirit desires what is against the flesh. These are opposed to one another so that you don't do what you want to do. That is the reason, right? There, you cannot live in both of these arenas. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. And I look at this, verse 19. These are the works of the flesh. And he'll list them out. Sexual immorality, moral impurity, promiscuity, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, strife, and jealousy, an outburst of anger, selfish ambitions, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, carousing, and just to make sure that he doesn't leave anything out, 
anything similar, my translation says. I've warned you about these things as I warned you before, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Can you find yourself on that list? Why is this such a hard word? Because it indeed is a hard word. It's because if you're operating in the flesh, you're ultimately operating out of selfish, selfishness. But if you're operating in the spirit, you're ultimately operating out of selflessness. Listen, these are the things of the spirit. Down to verse 22, right there in that same chapter in Galatians. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. What good are these things if they're not directed towards others. A walk in the spirit is not just an individual reality. It's also a communal reality. It's a relational reality. To put away the things of the flesh, the bitterness, the anger, the strife, the outbursts of anger. And to walk in things in the spirit like love and joy and peace. We make it plain the things of the flesh benefit me. And this leads to death, but the things of the spirit submit me to God and benefit others. And this leads to life, the great commandment. As Christians, we are not saved to reign, but we are saved to serve. Jump back to Romans 8 with me. Verse 6 says this, the mind governed by the flesh is death and the mind governed by the spirit is life and peace. The mind governed by the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law and nor can it do so. The flesh living according to the world is not a neutral thing. It's not a neutral thing. You know, you, those of us who are Christians in here, when we communicate with non-believers and, and it's really the ones that we're close to and, and probably family that are the ones bold enough to be like, yeah, hey, Get out of my face with that. That Christian stuff is cool for you, right? But it's not cool for me, right? I, I'm, I'm good with Christians. I just don't need it. I'm good with God, right? I believe God, but I just don't really need all that Christian stuff. Some of us living in the flesh think that we can have both of these things, Right? A relationship in God without submission to the spirit, it doesn't <clears throat> exist. We have this mindset that we can kind of have our cake and eat it too, but it doesn't really work like that. Listen, if you are not in the spirit, then we are literally cast out. We are far away. Paul says we are hostile to God. We are at odds. We are at enmity with God. And in Ephesians chapter 2, he will say like, emphasizes the, 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 the deadness here. We are dead in our trespasses without the intervention of God. My daughter, my oldest daughter, she's really into like science stuff right now. And I was really into science stuff growing up as well. In first grade, I was really into like this chemical reaction stuff. You know how you drop a Mentos into a Coke bottle and then it explodes, like that kind of stuff? That's what I really, 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 really love, right? Another chemical reaction um, is this simple experiment. Kids, if you want to do this at home, go ahead and ask your parents. You can get this out when you get to the crib. Get a bottle 
pour some water in the bottle and then pour oil in that same bottle. What's going to happen? They don't mix, right? And I remember this. I remember doing this as a kid, and I would pour the water in the bottle. I'd pour the oil in the bottle, and I'd shake that thing up and try to get the oil and the water to mix, and they would separate. And I was thinking, there's no way that this oil will not give in to the water. Like, I, I really want the oil to give in to the water. So I said, listen, I'm, I'm, I'm smart. I'm smarter than science. I can really figure out how to get the oil to mix with the water. And so I recognized, okay, the oil's sitting on top. That must mean the oil's lighter than the water. So I put the oil in first. <laughs> and I say, hey, <clears throat> I'm going to make the oil submit to the water. <laughs> right? And so I pour the water in over the oil. And I say, yeah, it's, it's going to work, right? But no, what happens? The oil rises up over the sides and escapes the water. And the stuff that's stuck at the bottom, it may even go into a droplet and poke up through the water. It raises above. The separation is inevitable. And this is an image of what it looks like to operate, to try to operate in both the flesh and the spirit. It's literally impossible. The mind governed by the flesh is hostile to God. Paul says it does not submit to God and it couldn't do it even if it wanted to. Those of us who are in the realm of the flesh, verse 8, simply cannot please God. We can't walk with God. We can't reach God. But you, however, I love this in verse 9. It like just literally changes the tone, right? He, he, he goes from this, this abstract, hey, those who are in the flesh, those who are in the spirit. But now he's really focusing and directing this to you who are Christians in the room. Listen to this. You, however, are not in the realm of the flesh, but are in the realm of the spirit. If indeed the spirit of God lives in you, and if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, they do not belong to Christ. So here's the question for us today, those of us in the room and those of us on the live stream. Do you have the spirit of God? Do you have the spirit of God and how do you know? Here it is. First of all, I'm going to give you two things. If you are a Christian. You have the spirit. Hope that puts some people at ease in here. If you are a Christian, you have the spirit. You are in the spirit and the spirit is in you. But here's the thing. You cannot come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ without the working and the prompting of the spirit. If you're a Christian, you have this spirit and you have the spirit because the spirit provoked it. You can't come to know Jesus without the spirit. And when, when the spirit provokes you and you believe the spirit indwells, this is the key role of the spirit. It is the spirit alone that engages and it is the spirit alone that convicts and gives us the power to believe and be sustained in that belief of the saving work of Jesus Christ and his blood on the cross. You don't know that you have this spirit by being coerced into a prayer. You don't know that you have the spirit by committing to a ritual of coming here to church on Sunday mornings. Yo, pray and pray often. Come to church and come every single Sunday. But that's not how the spirit is received. Jesus told Nicodemus in John 3, you guys know the story. Yo, the spirit. 
spirit. You must be born again. Nicodemus comes and says, yo, Jesus, you must be from God because the things you're doing, you can only do that if God was with you. Jesus didn't even respond to that. And he said, yo, dog, you got to be born again. Don't even come at me with that. And Nicodemus is confused. What do you, what do you mean? What are you talking about? Jesus said, yo, the spirit, <laughs> you got to be born of the spirit. And obviously Nicodemus is like, yo, how can I get this? How can I do it? And Jesus tells him that you won't know. You can't know. There's an inevitable mystery to the spirit. There's an inevitable mystery to the spirit. Jesus says himself, the spirit is like the wind, right? Like a rushing wind. We just sing it. <clears throat> you guys heard my singing voice. I can't sing, okay? <laughs> but that's how the spirit is. It moves. It comes and goes wherever it pleases. It comes and goes wherever it pleases. And it comes and goes. It's like a wind, but when it hits you, it actually turns into like a tornado, doesn't it? <laughs> If you have the spirit, you know this. It, it, it wrecks before it gives comfort. It wrecks before it gives comfort. And that's not even the main thing. After that, after the tornado, after the mess is all cleaned up, the question still remains, are you submitted? <laughs> are you submitted? You have to be ruled by the spirit. The spirit is impacting non-believers right now <laughs> and they can't hear they can't feel because they're unable to submit you have to be ruled by the spirit one of my mentors put it this way you know you have the spirit because it's a nuisance <laughs> he's a nuisance <laughs> you know he says uh no one bugs me quite like the spirit <laughs> The works, this is number two. This is how you know. The works, words, and instructions of God are more appetizing than the things of this world. You start to lose your grip of the things of this world that don't really matter and don't matter at all. If anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, verse 9 says, they do not belong to Christ. But here, the result of having the spirit, if Christ is in you, even though your body, then even though your body is subject to death because of sin, the spirit gives life because of righteousness. If Christ is in you, then even though your body is subject to death right here and here and now because of sin, it's the spirit that gives life because of righteousness. Y'all, this is a word. The spirit, and this is, this is not only true for eternity, but this is true for now. This is true for us here and now. You remember when Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead, Martha ran to Lazarus and said, yo, Jesus, if you were here, this wouldn't have happened. This wouldn't have happened. And Jesus said, yo, Martha is, is good. Lazarus is going gonna, is gonna to raise again. He's going to come back to life. And Martha says, yeah, Jesus, I, I know in the resurrection <laughs> on the last day when the saints are raised, I know, Jesus, that he's going to be raised again then. But I know that even if you spoke to God now, he would do what you say. And Jesus says to her, listen, Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. And this is good news for us today, Christian. The one who believes in me, even if he dies, will live. Everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? He asked her. 
Do you believe this? <laughs> Stonebridge. It's the same way that Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead physically. It's the same way that he raises us up spiritually from the dead. The resurrection is not only a moment in the future, but a person now in the present. So for us now, what does this resurrection look like? It's a dual reality. We live a dual type of life. We experience simultaneously on this earth sin and death in the body. And at the same time, we experience full life in the divine person, Jesus Christ. We experience sin and death here in this body, and we experience full life in Jesus Christ. And we have the greatest hope, right? Because the sufferings and groanings of this world that is a direct result of death and sin here in the body will only last a while, but the glories of heaven will last forever. But what does this mean? How do I live with this now? I want to give us three points here. I'm going to wrap up and I'm going to get out your hair, okay? What does this mean? It means that we will be washed over with humility. It means that we will be washed over with unity. And it means that we will be washed over with boldness, with humility, the spirit, as we're living this dual life, both in both impacted by sin and death in this body, but also living fully in life in Jesus Christ. We will live a humble life. The work of this spirit in that way humbles us. After you receive this spirit, I don't know if this is news for anybody, but life doesn't get easier. It gets harder. Why? Because we have a convicted heart now. The things that we once didn't care about, we now care about. (laughs) We can't do the things that we once did, at least not with a clear conscience. The Holy Spirit nags, right? It doesn't let you. And if you do, you are in direct opposition. Listen, the life of a Christian is not one of self-will, but one of dependence. And instead of being strong on our own, we are made weak. We are humbled by the Spirit. But we are made strong. Listen, y'all, this is the hope. Strong in Christ. It's a dichotomy to how we live on earth, how we live particularly in America Humility is not one of our strong points. I don't know if y'all know that. But the spirit humbles us and it is Jesus who makes us strong. Unity, the second point. Some of y'all ain't gonna like this word, but unity means that we're gonna have to actually compromise. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, we we don't like that word. Right. We're going to have to compromise. And I want to make this clear. We're not going to have to compromise on the truth. The truth is true. This is the word of God. And every word in here is God breathed, God inspired. And it is true and errant and infallible. But we don't compromise on truth, but we compromise on preference. Why? For the sake of unity. To preserve the bond of peace. <laughs> we have to endure in community, y'all. And there's not one of y'all in this room that's quite like the other. I don't know if y'all figured that out either. Right? Some of us are sitting next to our wives. Some of us are sitting next to our husbands, right? And I have a wife of my own. And, and, and we disagree. 
And this is going to be true in greater bodies and even more so when there's more people. Relationships are messy. But the New Testament knows nothing of a Christian who is not plugged into the local church. And the New Testament knows nothing of a local church or a Christian who does not endure through disagreement to preserve unity. Those disagreements, those differences may be, I don't know, talking about the budget, talking about the ministries, <laughs> talking about where you guys are going on vacation for this summer. Whose in-laws are we going to go to? Who, where are we taking the kids, right? Preferably in the church, in, this, in, the, in, the, in the text, Paul addresses economic, social, political, and ethnic differences. And he calls them ethnic differences, Jews and Gentiles who are as far off from one another as you could possibly be, literally divinely separated by God. And the blood of Jesus Christ came to bridge that gap. And so there's no way that we can't bridge the gap between any of the differences that we have here, including political, including ethnicity. The Spirit helps us operate as a new and imperfect family of God. Lastly, it's boldness. Why is this important? Boldness is super important. Because the call of the Christian life is not a call to reign, it's a call to serve. Because the call of the Christian life is not a call to be on top or to oppress, but it is a call to suffer. And so we have to be bold. What does this look like? A lot of us were saved out of things. We were saved from things. And we can recall those things at the drop of a dime, can't we? But oftentimes it means we have to go back into what we have been saved out of. It's the world, the worldly things, right? We're called to be light and salt. So much of what we're tempted to do as Christians is desire to create a separation between Jesus and the world. Jesus doesn't create said separation. Jesus comes into said separation. He bridges these things. Why do we desire these things? Because it's easier. It's easier to homeschool out of fear or start a Christian school to control worldly influence or move away from more liberal areas. And these things aren't necessarily, hear me, aren't bad in and of themselves. Right? Fleshly desires, doing fleshly things isn't a matter of doing, it's a matter of being. If you're doing these things as a result of saying, yo, those people over there, (laughs) foul, (laughs) foul. There's comfort in those. But listen, Christ, he does call us out of death into life, but he doesn't call us out of death into a life of comfort. Right. Philippians 2 tells us what? That he did not count his high and lofty place to be something to grasp. But he lost it. He humbled himself. He took on human flesh. For who? For what? (laughs) For the world. For me. And for you. Even to the point of death, and not just any death, but a shameful death, naked and exposed on the cross. Tim Keller, I'm going to let an old wise person say it way better than I can. 
He has a quote from one of his books, Loving the City, where he says this, Christians are called to be an alternate city within every earthly city. An alternate human culture within every human culture to show how sex, money, and power can be used in non-destructive ways. You feel that sense of responsibility. Does that magnify the call to be salt and light force? Does that magnify the call to be uh, emboldened by the spirit? There's a reason why God doesn't just zap us up into heaven after we receive the spirit. Wouldn't that be nice? To just go. There's a reason why he doesn't just zap us up into heaven. And it's because of this, John 3, 16, his heart is for the world. And his plan A is the church inaugurated by the blood of Jesus Christ. Right? And so we all know this, that there is a difficulty in that. To be humble, to pursue unity, to be bold in spite of opposition, to be bold in spite of places that we don't agree with. These are difficult things to do. But when we're filled with the spirit, I would venture to say that we have no other choice. If you are submitted to the spirit, he will call you there. And he will not only call you there, but he will fill you there. He will sustain you in those places. Yes, there's difficulty in living in the spirit. We will be humbled and we will have to compromise and we will have to suffer. Spoiler alert, y'all. This is what it means to be a Christian. And so as I conclude, I want to ask the worship team to come back up. And I'm going to leave you guys with this. What is the encouragement? What is the encouragement? Uh, in verse 11, look at that with me. Romans 8. And if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, then he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of his spirit who lives in you. This is it. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead if it's living in you, and in fact, if you are a Christian, that very spirit is living in you. There is no death, right? There is no pain worthy of not following the call of the spirit. There is no pain worthy of not submitting to the spirit. Obedience will become a joy. Obedience should be a joy. If you are submitted to the spirit, why? Because we have an assurance in Jesus Christ. We have proof. We have proof that it works. We have proof in a resurrected savior. He reigns. He reigns. And that same power that conquered the grave lives in us. Let me pray for us. Jesus. 
I just pray for this word to be heard.